The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today we want to revisit the theme of reclaiming the cultural narrative as a church. I mean, getting involved in this, obviously for the sake of our culture, but also for the sake of our mission, but reclaiming that narrative of a civil, what makes a civil, humane society for all by proclaiming God's providential care. And and so uh, this is going to be the first of four programs about Christians being active voices in culture, both and, and, and even in politics, uh, both individually, right, because we have that calling because of our constitutional citizenship, but also as a church. Now, before you question what we're doing there, we're, we're not the ones— trying to become more political. Let me just say it that way. My work in Washington, D.C., representing our church, the the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty, we're actually in D.C. to take politics out of a lot of these issues. We are not the ones politicizing all of these things. And by that, I mean, we're not the ones coming up with all these cultural blasphemy laws that make other people's viewpoints of conscience which might differ from ours, we're not the ones making those illegal. But that's what's happening in Washington. If you don't believe this, you need to wake up to this. And so what we're really trying to do is take politics out of this. Right now, the main things we're in Washington to defend are religious liberty, which is just giving us the right to be faithful to God's word and how we live with each other in community. Okay, that's it. That's religious liberty. We're granted that right of conscience and that right of assembly. We can live it, not just believe it. We, you know, we're being told a lot of ways to believe some of this stuff in the privacy of your own home in your basement, but don't let it out. No, that's not how we're going to live. So that's the main one: religious liberty and the sanctity of life. Because if we don't fight for the sacredness and sanctity of everybody's lives, that we're going to devolve into the kind of government you don't want to see. Now, there are the two issues we do get involved in: our marriage as an institution. And educational freedom. We have the right to educate our kids in the virtue and, and moral structure that that actually can take facts and make them wisdom. Um, those are religious liberty issues, though, for us. You know, we're not demanding that everybody think the same way that we do, et cetera, et cetera. But what you have today is you have the government being turned on the Christian church. So if we disagree with the popular view of marriage. Uh, we are being told that you can't have that view. And if you have that view, it's by definition either hate speech or it's uh, societally out of step. And it's not just live and let live. It's you need you either need to amend your teaching on this or you're out of business. And I don't understand why any civil person, any humane person um, would think that's good government or that's actually righteous law. I don't care what you think about marriage. I don't care what you think about that. 
the fact that you're weaponizing government and weaponizing politics to actually destroy the church's voice on this. It's crazy. And that could, you know, so let's say you say, well, but in marriage, it's so important. Well, I mean, it, it can. there's hate speech right now in, in, in Michigan, a hate speech law that's coming up for a vote. You Michiganders, I don't know what's going on up there. But, um, you know, it, it actually is going to make virtually every moral perspective of the Bible hate speech. So it could be if I'm preaching sometime, by the way, folks, this is still true, no matter the fact that we you know, on TV today, you're supposed to go have sex with after the first date. The Bible still says <laughs> that, that you leave and you cleave and the intimacy comes after you're committed to each other, not before, not as a fun time play thing for dessert. Because once you do that, you destroy your capacity for intimacy in the relationship you finally commit to, and you destroy your relationship to God who actually created you and ordered you a certain way. So male and female, and and he creates you uh, to, to have this intimacy. He wants sex to be this beautiful thing. And so living together is wrong. Having sex whenever you feel like it with as many partners is still wrong. And you're what you're really doing is destroying your capacity for real intimacy. Uh, and commitment. And folks, that's look look at what's happening in our culture. Come on. Um, but again, my point is this I'm not saying that you have to believe that, but when someone says, well, that by definition is hate speech, and you can't even say that now, that's where we're at with a lot of these things. People are weaponizing the government so that the church just can't even say that. That's just crazy because God's word is a blessing ultimately to all people. God's word is wiser than our wisdom and it's stronger than our strength. And so we're going to be the kind of people that proclaim that because we love uh, even those who disagree with us. We, we're not doing it to defend ourselves. We're doing it because we think God actually calls all of us to himself that way. But again, my point is the issue I'm dealing with in D.C., is that some people have weaponized this. They've made one aspect of this legal and the other aspect of it illegal. So we're going to talk today and the next three weeks about being that public voice for the sake of the culture. And folks, uh, that's, you know, voicing God's providential preserving care because we can be much, much worse to each other. So this program, Take Back the Narrative, what does that mean? Uh, what Talk a little bit about God's law as a necessary curb of our worst tendencies uh, and why that that's the main role of government, you know, undergirding law and order and, and protecting the inalienable rights of all people. And that's the one thing a lot of government isn't doing today. Um, next week, though, we'll talk about the breadth of the impact of the Word of God and the Christian worldview on the West and also ultimately on our culture. I'm going to interview Jerry Newcomb when he talks about what if Jesus had never born, had never been born. That's a book that I've been using all the way back since the 80s where it talked about how radically the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview changed the dynamics of the cultures that accepted that worldview. I mean, the value of human life, about the value of women, the value of children, the value of work. When we talk about universal education, people think that that just magically popped out of, no, that came out of the Reformation, because we felt that God wanted all people to be able to read his book of salvation and grace. And so we're going to talk about what if Jesus had never been born. And that's a great book when you're starting to talk about 
the impact uh, of some of these truths in culture. And that was written by Jerry Newcomb and D. James Kennedy uh, back in the day. The next, the following week, two weeks from uh, today, uh, we will be talking about foundational principles in the American experiment, why they need to be preserved because they're under attack. And we'll be talking to Eric Patterson, the president of Religious Freedom Institute, RFI in D.C. And then finally, the last uh, one of these programs, I think you're going to really love it. Bill Federer, of the AmericanMinute.com, historian par excellence, and he's going to be talking about why celebrating the 4th is something that we need to rekindle in this country. He's going to talk about the founding, where this view of government came from, why it's to be valued by every person who's a citizen here, responsibilities of, of being the kind of citizen that makes sure that freedom's enduring for everybody, et cetera, et cetera. And he's going to bring the wisdom of his historical research to bear on that. You don't want to miss it. Now, if you do miss a program on uh, radio in D.C., but you can always go to our website, lcrlfreedom.org, and all of this stuff lives as podcasts there uh, forever. And so you can even go back and look at some of our other programs on a lot of these kinds of issues. But uh, you, you will have that at your disposal uh, whenever you'd like. So don't miss any one of these because this is what we mean by being a public voice of the biblical worldview in the culture for the sake of the culture. Now, one of the things I got to just deal with this right up front, a lot of people think, well, that means we're becoming more political. No, it doesn't. It just means that you're being uh, useful in public issues where God says, I need my preserving voice there. You know, one of his preserving voices would be honor your father and your mother. Well, if you destroy the family, you literally destroy culture. And guess what we're doing by policy in some of our cities around the country? We're destroying them. We're destroying families, which destroys children, which is increases violence, poverty, illiteracy, you name it. There's no public policy that can actually remedy that except to reverse course and get the government out of so much of this social engineering. Now, there are those who believe in government above all else who actually think the family is an impediment to a healthy society and they think everyone should be attached to the government. And so moms and dads don't have any rights over children. Children are to be delivered to the state schools, and they're to be raised there, and they're supposed to be good little automatons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I never thought I would hear an American say that, because that was always what we thought about what Russia did, you know, and that's what communists did. But Americans had freedom of thought and freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. And that all happens when the family has authority and responsibility of their children not the government. But anyway, so again, when we start to uh, think this, I hear people say, well, we're not supposed to get involved in that. Well, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but you're supposed to be a public person as a Christian. And one of those things means that you're part of God's preserving voice in the culture too. And that's in service ultimately to his mission, because preaching and teaching the Ten Commandments, which curbs us all and calls us all to repentance, is still good for us, even though it's God's no to certain things. And so Genesis, you're called to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's part of the way that God refreshes things when people of faith with his, the worldview and his wisdom actually get involved in life. And then salt and light. It's interesting how God differentiates. Salt preserves, light enlightens. That's another example uh, of God's 
two kingdom engagement of the world. You know, the Bible differentiates God's preserving and God's saving work. You know, when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, it's because God's at work even through Caesar, not to save the world, but to preserve it. And that's why the Bible actually limits Caesar's role. It's supposed to be about law and order, ultimately. Uh, That's Caesar's main work, because some people are so bad, only force will stop them. But limit that, right? And the founding fathers of our country, that's why they put Caesar on the bottom. They put the state on the bottom. They thought that's the best place to actually be faithful to that. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Set the church, the religiously motivated, self-governing citizen free. Put that on the top. So we should be involved, and and we have a calling to that. Now, I remember I was at a meeting in Washington, a high-level meeting with a lot of Christian leaders, and I won't say which one it is, but it was a it was a big deal. And I was really excited to be a part of it. I was brand new to Washington and I was at this meeting. And I remember we're talking about urban stuff and talking about politics. And and again, one of the voices, you know, one of the leaders said, Well, you know, I think I just think we should just let it keep decaying until it bottoms out, and then people will know. They will know that our view of family, our view of industry, our view of work, our view of freedom, self-reliance, self-government with trust and faith in God alone and and a dedicated life to neighbor, then they'll know that we were right all along about these things. And I saw people, you know, basically was saying, you know, just let it be. Don't We don't have to get involved in this now. Just It'll all come crashing down. Now, the leader who said this, I know he had real love for the communities that he was serving in the city. And But he was also under pressure to not be involved in the politics of all this kind of stuff. And so, and, and also there were people saying, we don't want to hear your voice as a church. And so I know that was part of the discussion. But as an urban guy for, at that time, about 25 years, I, I, just, I raised my hand and said, please, no disrespect. I know I'm brand new here. I said, but I think that's the wrong way to deal with this because they're ne- the people in charge, the politicians, the people who are running the, these fiascos, they're never going to admit they're wrong. They're never going to say, oh, we repent. They're, they're always going to blame somebody else and especially blame the church. And if we abdicate, then they've got at least a legitimate blame there that we're not even trying. So we got to get involved now and say why these principles really, really matter even now, because it can get much worse if we don't. And and so it was really interesting to hear the dialogue after that. And I, and I kind of sat down because I was so new to it, but I had several people say who were urban guys. It tended to be the urban folks. Yeah, we got to get involved now. Why? Because we really care about these people now. Why would we let it, uh, you know, come to that kind of fruition? So I think that's what I'm talking about. We're not the ones politicizing these things, trying to take politics out of it, because politics often destroys some of these healthy things by gathering power unto itself and the people we're dealing with on the Hill today that are really, I think, the real danger to all of us. I don't care if you're a liberal or a conservative. They're a danger to all of us who believe that there are foundational principles to life. They don't believe there's any truth. There's no such thing as objective truth. The state is the final arbiter of all things, and whoever's in power, they're the ones who are right. So a couple of things, and just you know, to talk about some basic principles that are biblical, that are foundational, and I think it's part of the narrative that's being lost today that we need to reclaim. First, let's uh, deal with a question that I think is plaguing our society today, causing a lot of the weaponization of politics, then the principles, okay? So here's the question. By whose authority? 
the first thing we have to start to answer is where who are we going to finally trust uh, these kinds of questions to, especially the big questions of life. And our children are being told that God and his word are useless to this stuff. Uh, what we have now is, you know, educated elite who have studied at our greatest universities and you put them into control and they'll figure all this stuff out for you and you give their your obedience uh, to that. Um, and, and somehow they think this idea is going to work, like it's going to make sure that there's even more freedom for more people. Well, by whose authority? I think that always goes back to Genesis 3. You know, it goes back to the founding book of the scripture where Satan actually whispers in Eve's ear, did God really say? And I'll even go one further. Some people think science is so authoritative today. You know, just trust the science. You hear all that. Well, if that's the case, then how come male and female is such an issue? Because the science says it's XX and XY, and that's it. However you feel about it, uh, that's a whole different discussion. But aligning yourselves with what is is the healthiest thing that you can probably do. And here you come. People say, well, the science is not definitive on this. There's no such thing as the science has the last say on this. We've got all this other social science that actually says something else. Well, it's not objective. It's not it's not foundational. But again, it just shows how science has been politicized. And so the people don't even really trust that they trust their view of these things but finally it comes down to people say and hey, i do whatever's right in my own eyes that's what i do and you know what the bible says about that that's the definition of sin that's the definition of rebellion and the book of numbers said and this is what happened when they did what was right in their own eyes it was chaos and that's, that's what's devolving in a lot of our cultural issues today. Look at some of the things. We're devolving into decadence, perversion, and self-righteousness all at the same time. Yikes. And we can start to do really inhuman things to each other. It's, it's amazing. And that's where the Bible curbs us. And that's where a civil society founded on the biblical worldview has provided the most freedom for the most people in the history of humanity. That's something we should not just throw to the curb. Now, some of the principles that flow from that worldview then, right? The first one is, and America actually adopted this. Well, actually, they adopted the first two that I'm going to say. The first one is that every human being has inherent dignity, not because the state says so, but because God created them. In fact, if you want to know, that's the, the underlying theology even or philosophy of the constitutional limitation of government. Now, you're not going to see that phrase in the Constitution because the Constitution is about limiting the government to its particular tasks. And by the way, its main role is law and order. That's its main role. Biblically, Romans 13, Caesar's main role in a healthy society is undergirding the rights of law-abiding citizens, period. Everything else, including benevolence and care for the poor, it's by free people gathering in a free association, serving out of faith motivated, out of changed hearts. That's where the solution is going to be, not by forcibly taking people's cash and delivering it to your own, to those who you think need to be benefited by you. That's the heresy that's out there today, is if the church can be supplanted that easily or free people can be supplanted. When the government gets a hold of that stuff, and it has the coercive power to do it, you're going to see a radical change in civility, humanity, and justice, and not for the good. So universal dignity, that's a first phrase. That comes from the scripture. 
because God created you, and that's in our Declaration of Independence. Second, there's an objective moral truth to life, and there can be no just law or policy that violates God's law. The third thing is that the church, by and large, has been a positive force in history. And you'll get more of that next week when we talk about what if Jesus had never been born. And then finally, you know, I think, and this is probably the most important thing, the Christian worldview dismisses what I call the heresy of this notion of the benevolent state, the benevolent government for all people. It dismisses it because if human beings are by definition depraved, then the worst thing you can do is concentrate absolute power in the smallest group of depraved people you can muster because that's one way of unleashing holy hell onto the world. And the founders knew that. That's why, they're, that's why they believed both in the inherent dignity of man, but they also believed in the inherent depravity and sinfulness of humanity, and they therefore limited government. This notion of benevolent state is a, a lot of times, it's a lot of Christians who believe this too. That it sounds nicer, but in reality, it's so much more destructive because it's infusing the state with a power it cannot rightly do, and it's infusing it in such a way that it'll make it a terrible state and an even worse uh, church, and it's fusing the church with the state. You know, Nancy Pelosi said it this way. She said, "We're the Matthew twenty-five caucus," and I don't. No Christians got up in arms about that. They they claim the Christian right is you know merging politics with the church when they stand up for certain moral principles. You know, I I get why they're saying we shouldn't be overly political as if we're the, that's all we care about. But when a politician can say that their policies are fulfilling Matthew twenty-five, that's heresy. That's bad government, and it's even worse church, because you are not, the government was not given the charge to tax people so that they could give it away to the poor. There's no, it's actually free people. You as an individual are called to care for the poor in your neighborhood. You as a church body, you as people freely assembling, you are called to do that. And that's one of the ways we can curb abuses, because the, the money is freely given to people who are in need. And so it, if it's abused, it can be uh, stopped and it can be dealt with if, if, if the people who are actually collecting the money abuse it, like United Way did a few years back. The people stopped giving and they, they rectified it. But once it's coercively taken and coercively given, you don't have benevolence anymore. So again, these are some basic principles, and I think we can infuse the cultural conversation with this notion, universal uh, dignity and why that matters. Universal depravity, that's why we limit government. We're not foolish enough to believe they can solve all of our big problems. And then other things that, that I think are really wonderful, that there is an objective moral truth that orders, directs, and curbs all people. And then that when God puts barriers down in life or when he says no, even that is for our good. Number three, you know, the church by and large been a positive force. We'll learn more about that next week. And then again, coming to grips with the fact that this notion of benevolent state has always been a temptation, but it's a temptation that tyrants use to finally take away people's freedoms and take away the opportunity to live freely for the sake of others. And that's what we're fighting for. Like we said, we're in Washington to advocate for the church and to teach, uh, to advocate for our churches, our schools, our preschools, and our universities. But ultimately, we want to teach Christians to put their two-kingdom citizenship to work, to put their temporal liberties to work in service to the eternal liberties of Christ. And it's much easier for people to hear of the good news of Jesus 
in a state that is humane, that is properly ordered, so that everyone is free to hear the whole counsel of God without fear of coercion to the contrary. And that's what our that's what our faithfulness to God's preserving voice will continue to do if we take our responsibility seriously. So today, taking back the narrative, uh, making sure we understand we have a role to play in the public square. And then the next couple of weeks, you will we'll unpack that even more. Don't miss any one of these programs. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Or check out our weekly Word from the Center opinion piece every Friday at facebook.com forward slash lcrlfreedom. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 